Welcome to Curious Church Podcast. Hey, worst intro yet? Maybe. Every time you do something creative with your intro, I think it starts skewing Halloween. Like, it always goes a little spooky. Oh, I love it though. No, that's the that's the chill of the fall air I feel mm. in this uh, November day. Ooh. And in this office where we haven't been able to get the heat on all day. We oh, don't, really? Well, we, I think it might. Be, I think it's user error, but uh, I can't work out what the user error is. Got it. Got it. Uh, listeners, uh, we're so glad you're back. Uh, if you were on autoplay, then uh, we, you just rolled from the last episode into this one, and we're so glad to have you back. No credits, really to sit through no we're not we're not releasing these all together though right so so potentially someone listened to the last episode and the end and they listened right when it came out and then they were bitterly disappointed (laughs) (laughs) to have to wait that's possible or maybe they are doing it binge style they're waiting for the whole series once in a while i will have someone uh come up and mention something to me at church regarding an episode they just listened to but it had been released for months and I always am a little bit lost as to what they're talking about until <laughs> <laughs> until that spark of recognition finally flickers in my in my brain. And I'm makes, like, oh, that's right, we did talk about that. Makes me think of a conversation I had with someone once where they were like, oh yeah, in this in this episode where you were talking with Libby, like you said this, and that was yeah. Tell me more. And I was like, I said that I think five years ago now. <laughs> What, you mean I, you don't I have don't, them all memorized? I don't remember what I said. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, I mean, we are intending to create something with this podcast that can be listened to and hopefully reasonably relevant for generations. Repeatedly. Repeatedly, repeatedly for the rest and, and of your repeatedly, life. Repeatedly, yes, yes, yes. So when you're, when you're caught up, you know, just start over with episode one again. I'm sure they're all gold. <laughs> all killer, no all, filler. All killer, no <laughs> filler. <laughs> <laughs> we should, we should uh we're glad our listeners are along for the ride we're also glad that jan is back along for the ride to be clear we really have not uh been willing to open the door to even let her let her have a break from recording no she can't le- not not to let her in but to not let her yeah out. yeah yeah right, not to right. let her out yeah she's been locked in with us there's some concern that if we let her out she may not return so <laughs> yeah good thanks, thing Jana. there's snickers on the table some <laughs> sustenance for the journey oh well, please please seriously help yourself because otherwise i'm just eating a lot of snickers uh do we have time for a little impromptu segment I thought you were going to say like an improv game. Oh, uh, an improv game. But yeah, yeah, impromptu segments, sure. Go for Here's it. There's a little segment I like to call Eric's Tips for Music. Eric's Tips for Music. Oh, wow. I'll make a little theme song Sorry. for it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I went to enjoy some live music last night. Uh huh. Um,. And it was excellent. You know, now that in post-COVID times, some things like this are possible again. Um, is post-COVID really the term? I was about to say, do we need to time date stamp this? Yeah. yeah, yeah well, yeah. it's okay. It, uh, the, we understand the, the what new, you're saying. The new reality of, of uh, going out and yeah. being able to do things again. And uh, I, I had an excellent time. And here's a tip I learned. So I've been playing drums for many, many, many years. And here's a little tip I learned from my mom, who is a uh, speech-language pathologist, but also studied audiology. She's like, you got to put earplugs in whenever you're practicing the drums. And when you're, like, 
11 years old, you hate that. Uh-huh. Right? For, well, from 11 to about 22, you hate that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start to kind of do it because you're tired of your ears ringing after a long gig. And then... This is this is my story. This is my story. Speaking, we talk yeah, about yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah. This is the story of my earplugs. I can't situation. wait to one up your story. So <laughs> go ahead. I've been wearing earplugs since fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> I was born with earplugs, on, and I've never taken them out. Um, so they have uh, definitely saved my hearing. Okay, I think so. Thank you, mom. Of course, everyone out there, your mom is right, and you're wrong. Always. Always. Um, but it's not just about like playing in a loud rock band, which is what I've done over the years. Hear Some people are like, oh, you put earplugs in, you can't really hear anything, and it sounds muffly and, and weird and stuff. That's true. But if you like take one of those cheap foam earplugs, you like rip it in half, and instead of shoving it all down, like the way down your ear canal, you just pop it in just on the outside right here, just a little pop, pop, just like <laughs> just set it in there. This and is it, where I wish this was on YouTube, too. Pop, 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 yeah. pop. And you'll cut away all those, like, really harsh high frequencies. You still enjoy, like, most of the music. This is, oh, by the way, I should have said, this is a tip for people who are younger than me. What's our demographic for you, do you think, for this show? Um, Who's our loud, loud rock and roll yeah, th- concert no, goers? No, this is really relevant because it's mostly teens who listen to this podcast. Okay, teens I'm, out I'm there, sure. I hope you've been paying attention. Teens, listen to your moms <laughs> and use your plugs that are just a little bit, just pop, pop, just on the outside. You can hear all the frequencies, most of the frequencies, and you can leave without your, leave, you know, leave the show with your head not ringing and your hearing intact. So I had did this experience last night. Yeah. It was great. I shared it with my wife. This was new to her. Oh, okay. Um, so she's just had her ears ringing for years. I guess so. I guess so. Mm. But you know what? Not anymore. <laughs> we, we fixed this. A whole new world. It's a, a whole new world of hearing. You don't, kids, you don't, kids out there, you don't, <laughs> you don't want to lose your hearing. Kids, to a podcast about Frederick Buechner. You don't want to lose your hearing. Twelve-year-olds reading along with us in the remarkable ordinary. If there are any older elder listeners out there, and there are probably aren't very many of you, but if there are, you, I think, would appreciate the wisdom of uh, taking care of your hearing. So that's why I share this tip with you, so that you can go forth and share it with uh, all the young people in your lives. One, listen to your mom. Two, wear earplugs when it's loud. Those all those folks in the band, they're all wearing some kind of hearing yeah, protection. Right. So don't go. Don't be a sucker. All right. Take care of your hearing, and listen to your mom. This concludes my segment. <laughs> all right. Well, I didn't realize we could just make up our segments. So this is stock tips with Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> bye bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, I think we can connect. I think we can connect your segment with our conversation today. Oh, I love a challenge. Okay. I don't think it's even that hard. Okay. I'm here for it. Because yeah. you're here, H-E-A-R. Oh. oh. I see what you did oh. there. <laughs> Teens are going to love that one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a little badoom? <laughs> oh. Teens also love wordplay. <laughs> they, they eat it up. Here's the connection I think we can make. So we're continuing in, we're going to finish off actually in this conversation, Beekner's book, The Remarkable Ordinary. And this week we're going to talk about the last two chapters, chapter seven and chapter eight. 
And we've been talking about this theme, listening for God. And the question, of course, or not of course, but one of the questions that comes up is what if we can't hear Mm H-E-A-R, God? Yeah. What if, and we we might ask in the process of this conversation, whose fault is that? Is that our hearing or is that... Uh, something else going on might be both um Mm. but it's a really it's easy to talk about listening for god and paying attention like we have right um and just think okay if i can just sort of pay good enough attention then i will always be list i will always be aware of what god is doing or how he's acting or the things he might be saying to me through people or directly but even that's not Beekner's experience. I mentioned just at the end of the last episode, he talks a lot about actually his experience of silence and that being a pretty significant part of the plot of his own life. So I thought it'd be a good place uh, or a good thing for us to wrestle with and talk through a little bit silence and what that means. So let me just throw it open again, kind of like we did last time to just things that stood out in these last couple of chapters, starting with our, uh, our not hard of hearing friend, Aaron. <laughs> Well, I'm going to pivot a little bit because I was... Um, you don't have to pivot. I, I, the question was literally, what stood out to you? What stood out to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you're good. I stopped listening after a little bit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I, I underlined I something on page 97 and that I just absolutely loved. Um, Technically chapter six, but we'll allow it. Uh, oh, what did I say? 97? Yeah. Oh, Chapter six? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Chapter six, page 97. It's good to revisit. Yeah, thank you. I should listen to you more <laughs> carefully. Sorry, Aaron, let me just catch you up. We're reading The Remarkable Ordinary. Remarkable. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Go for um, it. He talks about playing it safe. And I, I find this, this is something I'll, I, I'm, I'm a little bit haunted by. Mm. Um, I would say daily. Um when when you think i i mean i i try to recognize the the sort of privileged situation uh, that i'm in and i recognize also that it could probably all come crumbling down with like a any sort of series of events um so this is this is this invitation of his to not play it safe is really compelling to me and i think i need to do better at it hmm because not playing it safe means that you are, I think, connects to his chapter one stuff where that's when you notice, that's when you notice things. That's when you can let things occur to you when you get out of your cocoon. But um, he says, to play it safe, to stay with my mother, to have a nice dinner. He had talked about this story where his friend had kind of needed him. Uh, was not only for the world's sake a disaster, but for my sake a disaster. To play it safe to stay home where the candles are lit and the meal is prepared was to have your life somehow diminished. That's like, that's bam. I mean, that's, um, we, I feel like we strive so much for, uh, comfort and safety. And those are, those things are sort of, uh, frankly, anti-gospel. He goes on even to connect it to the, the thing about silence too, right? He goes on, um, to go out into the world, even if the world scares the hell out of you and bores you to death and intimidates you and confuses you, that is the only life. Hmm. Somehow I saw that. I felt that, knew it through that moment. Again, 
ironies like the locked church and the silent monastery. Mm-hmm. He goes to a church at one, looking to go into a church and it's right. locked. Right. Goes to a Several monastery churches, where the person right. he's trying to visit has taken a vow of silence. <laughs> right. He keeps coming up against these moments of silence and yet he's still saying that's, that's the life worth pursuing. Hmm. Yeah. Jen, how about you? Anything that stands out in these two chapters? Yeah. Um, so in response to kind of what you're saying with Beekner, um, I'm curious what are like, there's kind of a two ways to live in the world. One is right to pursue as much as possible and see as much as possible and stay busy and go out and do everything. And the other is to kind of hide and, and idolize comfort and everything. And where's kind of that middle ground of home? per se. Mm. He talks about home and how all of us in a sense are homeless until none of us are. Um, And so where, where do we find the balance of um, going out and engaging the world? And maybe if you have the privilege to traveling, experiencing new things, connecting with other stories that illuminate your own in more and different ways. Um, Or, you know, also being very present in your community that you are called to, Um, and finding the space and time to listen where you're planted too. So that's kind of something that um, I was curious about is how does Mm. he navigate a little bit of both pursuing um, not safety, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Pursuing life, but also living life where he is. Yeah, he kind of sets up this in his last couple of chapters, I thought there was a bit of a tension, um, which is not surprising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, cause he talks about in chapter seven about this experience of this dream where it kind of puts, puts his mother to rest for himself. Um, and he says, this is on page one of five. The most po- important part of the dream in a funny way was the recognition of the rule. You have no right to be happy unless I am happy. You have no right to talk about the past because that makes me unhappy, even if it makes you happy. And he talks about the ways he'd internalize that as a family rule, right? Mm-hmm. So not something not something he was saying was true, but as a rule. But then he says, I, part of what he realized is you're not only called to be happy for your sake, but you're called to be happy for everybody's sake. And how much more help I could have been to my anorexic daughter. He tells that story earlier in the chapter. If I had been happy, at peace, whole, a rock instead of a haggard, anxiety-ridden, doom-ridden cripple. Mm-hmm. He seems to point in this kind of quote towards a certain level of contentedness that can be a gift to those around you. Mm-hmm. And then yet he also talks about the fact that we can't... He, he wonders if maybe none of us should be settled or find home until everyone has home and has that peace. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe in those two ways, there's... I don't think that he's not resolving the tension that you're raising, Jenna, as mm-hmm. nicely as I might like, <laughs> of, go, of kind of going out and, uh, yeah, having a place that you're committed to uh, of sort of the, the, the kind of risk-taking and enga- high-level engagement and the, uh, having, having places of safety, too. Right. Um, but it seems like he's also wrestling with that, even, even in these two chapters. Yeah. I mean, as I think in a lot, as like, uh, as in a lot of situations, like the, the truth is probably in the boring gray area, which is to say to have, uh, have a sense of home and peace and safety, but also, um, be 
courageous about how you spend your time and um, what you notice. Yeah. And I think touching on what you talked about earlier about your regrets or kind of this mindset that we can have of feeling constantly guilty for doing too much or not doing enough, right? Um, He talks about, um, on page 111, kind of these wars, not just within the world, but kind of within ourselves and Mm -hmm. um, against ourselves. And um, I just love what he said here. It was very convicting for me. He says, but there are other wars you fight with yourself that are really not worth fighting at all. The war to make yourself be more, do more than you have it in you to really do or be. Um, And he talks Mm -hmm. about be merciful to yourself. Stop fighting yourself quite so much. And I think of um, the golden rule, right, is do to others as you would have them do to you. But then some people say this is the reverse golden rule. Do to yourself as you would do to Mm. others, right? Give that grace and mercy um, for doing what you can do, right? We're doing Mm. what we can do. We could do more, (laughs) but we're doing what we can, right? And that's kind of, um, that's just kind of echoed in the story of humanity, right? Yeah. Right below that, um, Jana, I love this, that phrase that um, he, the, this poet, he quotes Gerard Manley Hopkins, my own heart, let me more have pity on. Mm-hmm. And you could tell Beekner likes it because then he just writes it again. My own heart, <laughs> let me more have pity on. <laughs> that was funny. I didn't notice that. And then says, that's a lovely phrase. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the word that keeps coming to mind as we talk about this is restlessness. Mm. And um, there's a way to go out and be engaged in the world that's just restless. That's just sort of eager isn't even the word. I mean, just sort of desperately looking for something, right? Um, Maybe desperately looking for the anchor to attach the story to, to use language from our last conversation. Uh, And it feels like that, that, that's, that's the, that's the approach that can never have any peace right mm-hmm. um and so we're going out and we're engaging and we're re- we're looking for something in the world um that we would need to find at home so to speak mm-hmm. and but i can imagine a version of restful engagement i'm not good at it but i can imagine it <laughs> you know where okay there's um i ha- i have that anchor i have the place and from that now i can go out be- i have i have some semblance of peace because of uh to, to use this language, who I am with and before God. And so now I can take the risks, right? Yeah. I don't have to play it safe. I can yeah. care for this person in a way that would be, um, well, to some people, maybe less than wise, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because cause I, yeah, my values, I value certain things differently. Right. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but it feels... I'm not quite sure how you come to that place fully. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe yeah. it's a, maybe a lifetime. Sometimes you see, speaking of uh, older people who aren't listening to our podcast anyway, um, <laughs> it's like when you encounter an older person who has found a sense of rest and peace, and I don't mean like just they've retired and so now like get to relax. Play golf. Uh, like play golf, mm-hmm. right. Like it's it's not that. It's not that they're not working. It's when you encounter someone who has found a degree of peace i think it's like it's kind of palpable Mm -hmm. like you can sense something in that and then uh like i'm sure we've all known people who you know can live 90 years and feel restless the whole time right sure Sure. um and all of us are somewhere in between right um but 
I think this ties beautifully back to his, um, back to chapter two-ish, the Maya Angelou chapter, maybe three. Three, yeah. Where he's quoting Maya Angelou, who said, when people tell her that they're a Christian, oh, yeah. her response is, already? <laughs> already. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So maybe some of these saints you describe, Matt, are Christians or closer than yeah. we could, you know something we can aspire to be sure i like how you use the word restless and then i also thought of beekner's use of the word hunger oh Um, yeah and he says um kind of seeing both this literal and figurative hunger in our world and when we're hungry right here on earth we can eat but we're going to be hungry again so we can kind of be satisfied but eventually right we're going to need some more uh, sustenance so he kind of asked these questions and he says what did we hunger for today Was I fed today? Did I feed anybody today? Mm. We all have hidden hungers. We starve without knowing it for each other, I suppose, for silence, for beauty, for holiness, for God. It's the kind of hunger that you don't really recognize until it's fed. And then you think, my golly, I was hungry for that, (laughs) Um, which I think is a curious thing, right? Sometimes we don't even realize we're hungry for fill in the blank until it's finally fed or until we take the time and space to recognize and name it mm-hmm. i like that hunger yeah i like i like that i like that view of hunger because it's it's uh cyclical like it's um it's in rhythm that makes sense to me like mm-hmm. we we get hungry and we get fed and we feel full and that allows us to do you know whatever move our focus elsewhere for a while um but yeah same thing with yeah, I, I just I like the I like the rhythm of that. It's like mm-hmm. rhythms within rhythms. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty interesting to me that he talks about hungering for silence. One of the one of the pieces. Huh. I mean, there's certain stages of life maybe where that resonates um, more. I think of you know, a mom of three, you know, under four probably like has a real deep sense of hungering <laughs> for silence, um, but it's not. I don't think that's not a common thing that like, mm. oh, you know what I really need is this deep sense of silence. Um, and I think so, like actually sometimes like we are encounter and to bring this back to kind of a conversation about God and silence, like we can become restless because it feels like what we are encountering is God's silence. Um, on He quotes John Updike on page 106, saying, God saves his deepest silence for his saints. And he goes on to say, I'm not a saint, and I've never heard his deepest silence, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Although he goes on to wonder if actually maybe he has experienced something like that, which is classic Beekner. (laughs) Right. I've never done this, but but maybe. But maybe. (laughs) But maybe I have. Um. But like I find, I find that comment so interesting. I'd be, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts because there's an element almost in which it's like God say. There's a version of that which is like God saves His deepest suffering for His saints, right? right? Where it's like, okay, the thing we don't want is not, like we want to hear the voice of God, right. uh, and so like, can you save like your most clear pronouncements for His saints? But then there's another sense in the hungering for a sense in which um, God meets some of our deepest needs. Uh, of space, of the quiet that uh, he talked, Beekner will later talk about too. 
uh, for his saints. But I find that quote really provocative. I wonder if you guys have any thoughts. The Updike quote. Yeah. yeah. Or I mean, or anything in that section, yeah. of course. Yeah. I mean, it makes me a little uncomfortable because I, I, I think that uh, the we, you know, isn't isn't hell sometimes defined as the absence of God? Like sure. that's where. So, like going back to the Garden of Eden, that story is like here's life's going to be bad for you, and here's why because you have to leave my presence. Hmm. So, in some ways, that makes me really uncomfortable. Um, but in other ways, I wouldn't consider myself a a person of faith who hears from God a lot, like, um, in a, like an, in kind of tangible way. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think it takes, I think it takes observing and it takes, uh, letting things occur to you in order to hear God's God or know his presence. Um, so yeah, I'm a little of both minds on it. <laughs> <as well. laughs> yeah. It's, it's a tricky quote to wrestle with. And maybe I think of it like this. If you, the closer you are to someone, the more you're okay with just sitting there, right? Mm -hmm. And not talking and there being silence per se, but that doesn't mean they're not present with you. Um, And it doesn't mean there's not a richness or a weightiness if we're aware of that to the silence and the presence. Like he, Buechner kind of talks about the way that God deals with the world is elusively, right? It's whispers, it's subtle, it's suggestive, never coercing, right? Um, It's just kind of this silent, or maybe not silent, this very subtle presence versus shouting at us and hitting us over the head with a two by four, which once in a while we need, but maybe, maybe saints are more okay or more aware of that and are okay with just sitting in it, which is tricky, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this conversation just betrays that I'm not a saint because I'm like, ah, finally, why, we why, knew it. Why can't, why can't, why can't you just be not subtle? Yeah. <laughs> like, why can't you make yeah. this straightforward and easy? I mean, he kind of addresses this above. Um, he says, I, I wish God would talk sometimes so I could hear him. I wish, as Woody Allen wonderfully jokes, that sometimes he'd just clear his throat. <laughs> but just enough whispers in the wings, the strange coincidence, the miraculous happenstance, the right saint coming by at the right time, to me means that the stillness of God is the stillness he has to preserve. Because if he were to speak, it'd blow everything sky high. It's a beautiful... I appreciate the thought so much. I'm like, well, maybe sky high would be helpful for me. <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, yeah, I think there's a way to talk about, yeah, a companionable silence. But most of us, I think, when we think about the silence of God, it feels elusive, right, and and more challenging than helpful. But Buechner is seeming to find this way into it. Uh, That is a a different, it's, it's, well, his last chapter is titled The Presence of Peace, that that is is willing to rest in it. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I know I find when I pray, like sometimes it's like, God, just tell me, right? Um, But if you would have told me right then, first of all, would I have listened? And second of all, then I wouldn't have had the opportunity to spend the time with him wrestling over something, right? And I think there's value in that too, um, right? The process over time. God is so out of time that it's really hard for us as humans to be patient and Mm -hmm. wrestle with things um, for a very long time, sometimes years and years and years when we just don't seem like we're getting answers. Um, But like you said earlier, we talked about 
the therapist telling him the answer and then him forgetting it, right? Instead <laughs> yeah, of him yeah, yeah, yeah. doing the hard work of figuring this out for himself or coming to the realization um, through his story. So, yeah, it's always that catch-22. It would be really nice to just tell me, right? But then again, then I wouldn't spend the time um, in relationship or in prayer um, with yeah. some of those things. Yeah, I'm thinking about like that, the, this idea of the deepest silence too. And um, yeah, I love what you're saying, Jan, is the way that we're formed by silence, right? And that God, the ways that God can be using. I often think of the ways like um, we sometimes want to excuse God's silence. Mm. And I don't, this is not what you were doing. Um, but in the sense of we want to uh, explain it away rather than admitting that he's being silent right now, right. you know, <laughs> it's like, Oh, uh, and suddenly like, we're kind of, well, go back. We're restless. We're out there looking for any sign, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, okay. Uh, well, I prayed about this this morning and I really had no kind of clarity or it didn't really even sense God's presence, but man, that cloud looks just like the new car <laughs> I've been wondering about. So, you know, and it's like, Oh, God's not being silent. Great. It's like, well, like, I mean, that's a trivial example, yeah. right? But it's like in that moment, we were so uncomfortable with God's silence that mm -hmm. rather than sitting in the wrestling and recognizing the ways it might be forming us, we're trying to find the ways he might be speaking in all these other ways, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's always a temptation, I think. Um, well, I mean, even in these last two conversations of listening for God, right? We've been talking about paying attention. It's always a temptation to begin to kind of almost overlook, almost like pay too much attention mm -hmm. or an unhealthy kind of attention. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I feel like I, I can be guilty of that. Like, oh, this person used that word. And I was just wondering if I should, you know, or I was uh, thinking about trying to make a decision or something. And that ad popped on my TV. Well, it happens to be the algorithm, you know, <laughs> but yeah. here we are like, oh, is that God speaking? Over-interpreting maybe our, yeah. our world for God. Or trying to fill the silence ourselves. Uh, try, yeah. I find it like, I don't know about you, Aaron, but as a musician, when I was younger and when I was playing these playing songs, I felt like I had to play everything. I had to play all the notes. Yeah. I had to play all the chords, like fill the spaces. And hopefully the better I'm getting, the more I'm okay with just pulling back, right? Yeah. And leaving space for maybe some another instrument to chime in or for there just to be a pause and a breath um and yeah easier said than done but i think that's that's the richness too right you can't have good music good melody without the pauses and the rests and the space um that creates either tension or um creates that space of waiting and anticipation for something to come I love that. I just want to add, like, I wonder how we might shift our posture towards God if we thought of God less as speaking to us and more as singing to us. Hmm. Like the silences are the breaths, like in the music, right? And we just want sort of the, the paragraph of words, <laughs> uh, but instead more like he's singing a song and that part of the silence can be a space to delight and uh, to anticipate uh, rather than to lament that we're not getting sort of the didactic nature of learning that we might want from him. Right. Hmm. Shakespeare is a lot richer than the Cliff Notes version, right? So, yeah, right, 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 yeah. right. I mean, I think this is all. Like, this all ties. Um, this whole book is tied up in mystery. Like, there's a lot of, and just I think the way Beekner writes, 
sort of points to that as well. Like he's asking, he'll say a thing and then be like, not so sure. And then be okay with like, kind of okay with not knowing, but mm -hmm. still like working it out. Um, I think, I think that's my, one of my, one of my takeaways from this book. I don't know if we were on takeaways yet, but I was thinking about, Oh yeah. I was thinking about the, the mystery. Um, yeah. The mystery of silence. And there's, and the idea of the already not yet, I think is deeply woven in, in mm. here too. It strikes me like neither of those are like, they don't sell super well. <laughs> you know teens, what I mean? Well, the teens love it. <laughs> the teens, the teens, our <laughs> listeners really dig it. But, uh, but seriously, like there's a place, like they are sort of gifts that can be received, but you have to come to a place of need, of almost needing or desiring them. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, mystery, even silence. Right. Um, if you're just looking for an answer, silence is endlessly frustrating. Right. Uh, and so there's a sense in which, yeah, like, uh, it's not, it's not the package deal you, everyone, you know, everyone just immediately signs up for. And right. I think that's where Beekner's story even is so significant. He's almost, leading us through his life and showing us the ways he's come to a comfort with some of this mystery, with the silence, um, through his experience. And it's not an up and to the right story <laughs> where it's like, Oh great. Like, and yeah. then I met God and things just kept getting better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so, but uh, yeah, maybe a takeaway for me <laughs> reflecting on what you're saying is, um, He's grappling with the deep things, and the deep things are not always the things that we just. They're not. It's not the sugar rush we crave, right? Yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. Always. Yeah, I think one of to bounce off of that in a society where instant gratification is like the answer, and we want things and we want them now, and we order them and we press the button <laughs> and they're on our doorstep mm -hmm. within, yeah. you know, within however many hours. Um, this is so countercultural, and um, Beekner. Uh, briefly touches on the season of Advent, oh, yeah. um, which, you know, if you're less familiar with it or something in the church calendar year, it's this season of waiting leading up to Christmas, right? It's not Christmas happens now and here we go. It's yep. taking time, lots of time to really sit in this space of saying how long and there's brokenness and there's waiting and we're just getting these little glimpses, right? These glimpses of joy, these glimpses of the moments that we know are coming, but we're not quite there yet, right? It's that richness mm -hmm. that comes from the anticipation, but it's also a little bit painful too. Um, and I think the older I get, the more I really resonate with that that sense of waiting um, in my own story mm. um, and as I see it reflected in the stories of people around me. Um, mm. Yeah. No, nicely said. Uh, that seems like a beautiful observation to wrap up on. What do you think? It's great. Can anyone top it? <laughs> <laughs> there I go again. I, I can't. I can't. That's good. Uh, well, thanks, listeners, for joining us on this little little mini journey of Beekner. Um, hope that you discovered some interesting things and were led to some interesting places. And maybe you didn't read the book at all as we talked through it, and that's totally fine. No but now guilt. you want to, don't you? Well, we know a lot of our listeners are still in high school, so they've got a lot. <laughs> they got a lot of homework. We recognize that, but maybe you know, on an upcoming break, uh, I, you would still 
deeply i mean there's so much in this book we didn't touch on in yeah. our few conversations yeah. and you know we talked a lot about beekner style come you know pick up the book read it and experience a little bit of it too i think you'll be none the worse for having listened to us first i'm not gonna no. say you'll be better but no uh, <laughs> i would you never, won't be the worst. ever say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah in some ways like if i hadn't read the book i think listening to us talk about it would be a little bit of a I got to check this out. A little appetizer. A little appetizer. Good. So, um, yeah, again, thanks for joining us uh, on this journey. We'll have uh, updates, I think, on what's coming next soon. Well, we certainly have our annual Christmas episode. Oh, right around the corner. Yeah, right around the corner. So that will happen. Um, So turn off autoplay now. (laughs) We'll wait. Okay, good. Listeners, thank you. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And I'm Jana. Thanks for being curious with us. Thanks for being curious (laughs) with us.